Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Welcome back for our discussion of John chapter 14. Just a little review. We finished the book of signs, the first 12 chapters, and we've moved into the book of glory. We're in the middle of a four chapter single discourse. We've seen all seven signs in the book of signs, the wonderful miracles. We know there are seven I am statements. We're getting number six tonight. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me, Jesus Christ. Just to review, we've had three big weddings in the Bible. The very first one, the weddings of God. The very first one is the primordial wedding. God joined himself to humanity through Adam and Eve. They could walk with them, talk with them face to face in the garden. It was paradise. They were in complete union with God. Beautiful. They lost that and were banished. The whole Old Testament is God wedding himself to a nation, Israel. That's God's Old Testament wedding, marriage. The third wedding, three is the divine number. Jesus reweds all of humanity in God's new covenant, New Testament marriage. And it's universal for all, for every single human that ever lived or ever will live. And Jesus rewed all of humanity and we get incorporated into his body. And it's a mystical body. It's his bride is called the church. And this marriage through Jesus is the way back to the Father. It's the way back to what we lost. It's the way back to that very first primordial paradise marriage with God, a perfect union with the Father and sharing in the divine life of the Trinity. They're all there. God the Father face to face, the hidden tree of life, Jesus, the water of life, the river of life, the Holy Spirit. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus, you just hear like this exasperation in his voice. And he says, oh, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still do not know me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? They're one and the same. You've seen him, you've seen me, you've seen me, you've seen him. We're one, we're the same. And they don't have an indwelling Holy Spirit, so they don't get it yet. But this is really this marriage talk. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. This is a one flesh union. This is the perfect unity between the Father and the Son. And out of that perfection of their love, something flows. And it's another person of the Trinity, and it's the Holy Spirit, this perfection of love between the Father and Son. Now, if Jesus Christ had not come down and left FaceTime with the Father, we would never have understood what Trinity is, and we would never know the way back up to the Father, because God revealed himself as Trinity through Jesus. And that's what Jesus is going to try to explain, that these three persons are one in the same. They're one in the same God. The Father and the Son are one. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. You've seen the Father. You've seen me. And the Spirit of that divine love they share flows out as a new person, the Holy Spirit. So God designed marriage before the beginning of time to show this love, this great love. He imaged it between male and female to image himself. 
And marriage is fruitful. Marriage has the potential to bear fruit. And that's the spirit of love and the spirit of life can flow through this one flesh union and make a new life, a new soul. The Holy Spirit is the soul of our spiritual marriage with God. So it's an allegorical marriage. It's an allegory. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy. Jesus is the mystical head. We, his bride, his church, are the mystical body. And the Holy Spirit is the mystical soul of our spiritual marriage with God the Trinity. So John uses his allegory brilliantly. He tells us Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way back to the Father, the only way. He did the work of salvation perfectly, obedient to the end. Jesus is the truth. He's nothing but truth. It's not in God's nature to lie, Hebrews tells us. God cannot lie. God is truth and only truth. Satan is the father of all lies. God is truth by his very nature. His word is truth, and he's the life. He's the eternal life that we lost. He's going to conquer death, crush death, and get us back to eternal life with the Trinity. Okay, so we lost that in our first marriage. We lost that. We got banished from the Trinity, from God. We weren't Israelites in the Old Testament. We weren't part of that. We couldn't be part of God's second marriage. But we do get incorporated to all of that because God will die in the second person of the Trinity named Jesus. He'll be released from that first marriage. Romans 7 tells us about that. And God's free to remarry a third time the divine number into a universal marriage with all of Abraham's children. And that's us. That's where we come in. And only because of Jesus and his cross is that possible. Jesus is the way. His word is truth, sheer truth, and he takes us back to everlasting life. Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God, did not think equality with God was something to be exploited or grasped. He emptied himself, took the form of a slave, was born in human likeness, being found in human form. He humbled himself in perfect obedience, even to the point of death on a cross. That's an ancient hymn of the church. It's Philippians 2, and it's the whole story. And that's where we have to join him. That's where we are wed to him on the cross. And all the apostles, with the exception of John, the evangelist, did not want to stay at the cross. Tassat shows the apostles watching from far away. Oh, looks like Pilate's trying him now. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And they go hide. John is the only one that stays at the cross with Mary. Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross for one reason, so that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, without blemish. That's the whole gist of everything. The bride has to be blemish free to get back to God because he's all holy, that we could be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine. We shine like stars in the world. You are a shining star in this perverse culture right now because Jesus and the Holy Spirit have purified you, sanctified you, shined you, and you shine brightly as one of God's stars. And that's just what God promised Abraham, that he would have descendants as many as stars. He took Abraham out. Abraham's children are made to radiate like stars through Jesus, who's going to make us blemish-free and able to shine brightly again. And by shining brightly, we have to shine brightly so we can partake in that original marriage to God, the Trinity, for all eternity. Now, if you recall Genesis 15, God took Abram outside and he said, look toward the heaven and count all the stars. Count all the stars if you're able to count them. And there were millions, hundreds, thousands of stars. And God said, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Well, that's not that big deal because we could go out tonight and look at all the stars and say, yep. What's so amazing about that, Abram? 
You believed God and it was credited to you as righteousness. Wow. What's so amazing, when God took him out, it was broad daylight. There were no stars in the sky. And God said, see all those stars? And it's broad daylight. They're there, but we can't see them until the big sun goes down, the big star. That's why it was so amazing. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. Several verses later, the sun goes down. So God is showing Abram all those stars in the brightness of day. And if you step out at noon tomorrow, you won't see any stars. But you'll know they're there. You can't always see the stars, but they're always still there. And God's plan is there, always. But we can't always see it right now. But later, we say, oh, that's what he was doing. So that's what faith is, believing without seeing, but knowing. So a whole lifetime it took Abraham to learn this lesson. And his final test was this. Finally, he has a kid. All these descendants he's been promised. Finally, when he's 100 years old. How many centurions out there have have had a baby? (laughs) He finally has a son. And then God says, take that son, that only son, and go up to Mount Moriah, and I'd like you to sacrifice him to me. Can you imagine? But now, after all that Abram's been through and his faith has deepened and deepened and deepened and deepened, he trusts God and he passes the test with flying colors and the angel says, wait, stop! Because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you, Abram. I'm going to make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sand that's on the seashore. God repeats his promise. From chapter 15, he says it again in chapter 22. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. Ah, did that happen? Did Abram's offspring ever possess the gate of their enemies? I think so. Said in Matthew 16 to Peter, you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's a universal church for all. Yes, your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you, Abram, have obeyed my voice. And with obedience always comes blessing. And I'm going to bless all the nations through you. So when you go to Rome and you're there in St. Peter's Square and you're seeing all the flags of all the nations, they're all Abram's children. This promise is fulfilled. All the nations get this blessing through Jesus who came from the loin of Abraham. It's amazing to see the universality of the Catholic Church for all. Jesus is the way for Abraham's blessing to become a worldwide blessing that was promised in chapter 12, realized, promised again in 15, promised again in 22 of Genesis. Abraham's son Isaac was spared, but God did not spare his own son. Isaac was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Same wood on his back up Moriah. Jesus had the wood of the cross on his back up Moriah, which is Calvary. For Abraham, there was a ram caught in the thorns for a sacrifice. But God, he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. Here, take this ram. But God said, I will provide a lamb. And a ram is not a lamb. He's going to provide a lamb caught in the thicket of thorns. And he did. The new Isaac, Jesus Christ, the lamb caught in a thicket of thorns. God did not spare his own son. God did not say, wait. And John, the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he declared, there's a lamb of God. And not just that. What does this lamb do? There's the lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And if he takes away the sin of the world, we can get back to the Father. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He takes away the sin of the world. Why to make the bride blemish free again? We got to be sin free. We got to be perfected. We got to be sanctified. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just the Israelites, 
all the families of all the earth. Therefore, says Hebrew, from one person, and this person was as good as dead. That's old man Abraham. From one person as good as dead, descendants were born as many as the stars of heaven. God doesn't lie. God is truth. In Hebrews 2, it says it's clear that Jesus did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. That's why Jesus came, to help us, the descendants of Abraham, creatures, to make it back to the Father. He's the way. Jesus helped make us clean by his perfect, eternal, high priesthood. And it's this new priesthood through which we all have a way back to the Father. Through a new priesthood, we can go to confession. We can get shiny like stars. We can get clean feet. We can be made to shine again. We can be made blemish-free. He provided all that for us before the beginning of time, before we even knew anything about sacraments, just like those stars, before we even knew any of that. He had a plan, and it was through a priesthood. Jesus is the way back to the Father and the way back to this primordial wedding that our heart longs for, that union, that divine perfection of union with the Father face-to-face like we had in the beginning. We get it back through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Now, very first paragraph of the catechism. You can read this one and shut the book. You don't need the other 2,000 paragraphs. (laughs) Not really, but I love this. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness. That's why he created you in a plan of sheer goodness. He created man to make us share in his very own blessed life. That's why he created you. Did he have to? No. He wanted to share his blessed life of the Trinity with you. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. God calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. That sounds like a marriage. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of a family. And that family is his bride. And that family is called the church, the Catholic church. And to accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son as redeemer and savior, and in his son and through him, God invites humanity to become in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children, and thus heirs of his blessed life. Wow, that's how much he loves us. I think John would say it this way, in his son and through him, God invited humanity to become in the Holy Spirit, his holy bride, and thus a blessed heir of his blessed divine life again. Partakers of his divine life. And because of his cross, this is possible. Because the power of this hour, John's theme of the hour, this is where it all is. This is why we can get home. So we don't sanitize the cross. We don't take this most important hour of all humanity off the cross. That's where the power is. That's where he wants us to join him on the cross. That's how we got home to the Father. Only by that. Crawl right over and join him there. Don't jump over. Don't take him off and throw him away and just go over on a nice, neat, easy plank. He offers us a divine communion before we even get there. On this side of the the chasm, on this side of the veil, he gives us this divine communion, a foretaste of what it's all going to be. And that's called mass. And that's even a marriage because it's where earth and heaven kiss. Sound like a marriage? At the altar. It's all a marriage. It's all nuptial. It's all union. It's all communion. It's so beautiful. We heard in Revelation that the time has come for his bride. He's prepared her. We prepare here so we can go there. We got to get blemish free here so we can make it there. Paul gets it. He said, now we see dimly like in a mirror, but then we're going to see him face to face. 
That's how it used to be. That's how it was for Moses until he gave up FaceTime and interceded on behalf of grumpy Israelites. I only know in part now, but then I'm going to fully know, even as I have been fully known. That's marriage talk. To be fully known and to know him fully, that's a union. That's marriage. That's what we're looking forward to. The bride of Christ is preparing for his return. Well, when will that be? No one knows. Jesus said about that day and hour, no one knows. Neither the angels nor the Son of God doesn't even know. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows the day or hour. Only the Father, not even Jesus, who did all the work, knows. We are all waiting. We're a waiting bride. And Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. He knows he's going away. He's going back to the right hand of the Father. He's done his job perfectly. Obedience brings blessing. He's gone. But I won't leave you orphan. I'm going to bring you a helper, a paraclete, an advocate, and he's going to get you back. So you just wait. You just wait. You just wait, bride, and work on your purification and your sanctification and your blemish freeness. You just stay and wait. And I love this prayer after the Our Father at Mass when the priest says, Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin. The bride has to be ready to go. She has to be always free from sin. She has to be pure and holy and ready and blemish free. We await the blessed hope of what our coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the second coming of the Lord. But Jesus is the way. He opened the gates of heaven so this is even possible. Now, I'm an old physics teacher, high school physics teacher, and I love taking pure white light and shining it through a triangle prism of glass. And when you do that, it refracts into a beautiful prism, rainbow of colors. And so Jesus said, I'm the light of the world in John's gospel. Pure, pure light comes into the world through the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's refracted in this beautiful rainbow of seven, a perfection of sacraments. Baptism, reconciliation, communion, confirmation, marriage, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick. They're all going to help the waiting bride while we're waiting until our time comes that only the Father knows. These are going to help us. And I love the rainbow of that because in the new creation of Noah, after he destroyed the earth, he sent a rainbow. And it was God's everlasting covenant between God and every living creature on the face of the earth of God's love for them, that he would never do that again. He would never destroy the world like that again. And in the new creation of Jesus, this new Adam in this new garden that makes it possible for us to get home, this rainbow that John saw around him when he saw the throne room of heaven in Revelation 4. Once I was in the spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, and there was one seated on the throne, and the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow. A promise of God's everlasting covenant from before the beginning of time. God knew the plan. The stars were there even though we didn't see the plan. God knew the plan. So Jesus, that pure light of the world, refracts by the power of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to bring this waiting bride away to stay pure until the Father calls her home. So we wait, and we wait, and we frequent the sacraments, and we're lucky. We're blessed to have them and to have a priesthood to deliver them. It's our way back. It makes it easy for us, and you know it's never easy. What are we waiting for? What are you waiting for? For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's going to be a fun day. (laughs) He tells us this to give us hope, Paul says. 
then all we who are left alive, who are left, are going to be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever in an eternal marriage. What are you waiting for? Because that's what we're all waiting for. But no one knows the day or hour. We're all waiting for this eternal feast of the Lamb of God. Forever, it goes on. And we learned in Revelation, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Hallelujah. Paul prayed for the Thessalonians that their hearts would be strengthened in what? In holiness, in purity, that you may be blameless, blemish-free before God, the Father, and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. we got to stay clean. The bride of Christ is blemish-free. And Jesus, the light of the world through the Trinity, helps us stay blemish-free. And we thank God for a new priesthood that can wash our feet. Jesus, last week in that priestly ephod, humbles himself again to teach them something. He says, you don't get it now, but you will when the Holy Spirit comes. You don't get it now. But the next time they're together in that upper room, oh, they'll get it when he says, forgive sins. Those you forgive are forgiven them. Those you retain are retained. He gives them the power, the authority from the risen God to forgive sin. Paul tells us there's one body, one spirit. You're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who's father of all people. Jesus said, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet. You got bathed when you were baptized. You got bathed, you got clean, you got free of original sin. Grace infused you. That grace is active in your life. It's in the kids that you had baptized and you're praying for. And some of them are straight. They got that grace in them. Keep praying. It's alive in them. They didn't do anything to earn it. It was a free gift from God. Bam, one baptism, one baptism. But we talked about last week, we've all sinned since our baptism, right? We got some dirty feet. You've been baptized. You've been washed clean from original sin. And when you go get your feet washed, when you go to confession, you can get even cleaner, even purer, even more blemish-free. When the priest says, I forgive you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you're set free. You're a shining star again. It's pre-shadowed in John 13. It's driven home in John 20. There's no sin, no sin that cannot be washed clean if we submit ourselves to God's authority in this healing sacrament the way he describes it in the Bible. People say, why can't I go straight to God? I got a direct line. I'll just tell God my sins. Really? Because that's not how God set it up. I'm not saying God cannot work outside the sacraments, but if you want to be a biblical people, it's in the Bible that a priesthood makes atonement for sin. He did the work of salvation on the cross. He set it up this way. He established an ongoing priesthood. He works through him, with him, and in him. Now, in John 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants to be our bridegroom. That's all bridegroom talk, and we don't get it. But Jesus really wants to take us back home to the Father. And so we have to think as an ancient Hebrew would think in biblical times. A Hebrew word for house was an insula. And an insula described a large household with many rooms built around an enclosed courtyard. In Israel, archaeologists uncover these all the time, insula foundations. You can go tour them and see them. An insula household had many families over extended generations all living together. 
all the family lived in the family insula. Grandpa, grandma, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> and some of the insulas held up to 120 people. Woo! The insula would be in the family for years because they owned a piece of the promised land. And you never give up a piece of the promised land ever for anything. And so you just keep building on. Now they build up. But you build a room and another 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 room. And as sons get married, you build another room in the father's house. There's a Catholic church built over St. Peter's Insula. Now, a lot of this marital imagery gets lost in our Western mindset, but just hang on through this and you're gonna, your mind will be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. This rich marital imagery that Jesus is using here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself. That's bridegroom talk. The groom wants to take you unto himself so that where I am, there you may also be. In the Father's house, in the Father's insula, this is what Jesus has prepared for each and every one of those who love him who follow his commands, who are blemish-free and pure. I go prepare a place for you, so I will come again and receive you. He's coming back to get you. He didn't leave us here orphaned. No one knows the day or hour this is going to happen. He's coming back to get us. No one knows, not the angels, not Jesus Christ, only the Father knows. Only the Father knows the day and hour. Now, these words of Jesus are deeply rooted in Jewish wedding customs. So marriage and family to the Jews, was that was an extremely sacred thing, marriage and family. The rabbi said, cursed is the man who at 20 years is not yet married. Marriage was usually very early, and most men married between 16 and 20. Girls married even earlier. A Jewish girl was considered ready for marriage at 12 and a half years old plus one day. So if you're 12 and a half plus one day, it's time, you get married. Most girls married between 13 and 14 years of age. So you can think of Mary, Virgin Mary, young, just coming into their womanhood. And the Hebrew male doesn't just go out and pick a bride. It's a family decision. This is a very, very, very important decision. And a family council was held within the entire insula the house of the father. Taking the bride into their insula was very important. It meant the whole family would be living with her for how long? Forever. <laughs> the input of the parents was much more important than the feelings of the young man. There was very much to consider here. They want to look at her character. What attributes will she bring to our family insula? What are her gifts? What are her talents? What are her skills? She needed to be pure and good and wholesome and chaste. And they're very concerned about her character, her virtue. What is her reputation, her moral purity, her community standing, her kindness, her attitude? Wealth and beauty are not nearly as important as a virtuous woman. Now, so the family has had their meeting. They've decided who they're going to ask. And they go to the girl's house unannounced. Three of them will go. But here's the woman, you know, they're just out grinding grain. And a group of men is sent off to tell the young lady that she's been chosen. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 14, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.